So before I start this morning, I want everybody to close your eyes, and I want you to just think about your own life and what's going on in your own life, and maybe there's confusion, maybe there's doubt, maybe there's hurt, pain, suffering, As you think of those things, I want you to to yourself, I, I want you to declare the name of Jesus over those things. I want you to tell him what you're experiencing, what you're feeling. Lord Jesus, I know that you've heard every heart here. And the enemy is the author of confusion, speaker of lies. I pray that you would help each one of us today to recognize truth. Help us to remember your promises. Help us to remember and be grateful for how you've lifted us up in past situations and how we can trust you completely and totally with with whatever it is that's on our heart and our mind and our shoulders this morning. Knowing that as we see that verse, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, yes, that's absolutely true, but not like we do. Many times when we take away, it's out of spite or revenge or to prove being better than someone else. That's not you, God. You are perfect and loving and just and sovereign, and we can trust you completely. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak peace over the hearts and minds that are here this morning and that are listening maybe or watching online later. Help us to trust you. And help us to lay those things down at your feet that are, that are burdening us. And that you would make our load light. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are past the middle half of the book of Job. And if you looked at your notes this morning, you see Job chapters 27 through 31. That's five chapters this morning. Maybe we'll have time this morning. Last week, for those of you who are just joining us today, we focused a great deal on the greatness of God. We, we, I, t- I talked about Uh, We looked at Genesis chapter 1 and and how God created the world and how he works in the world and how creation testifies to the power of God. If if only we would listen to creation, right, that that proves, that, that testifies, that bears witness to our incredibly sovereign and all powerful God. In verse 14 of chapter 26, Job says these words. If you would turn to the book of Job with me, and and if you've never studied it or you don't know where it is, if you go to the middle of your Bible, probably you will land in Psalms and then just go to 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 the book right before the book of Psalms and you will find the book of Job. 
In verse 14 of chapter 26, Job said, and these are but, this is after he's describing some things about God. And these are but the outer fringe of his works. How faint the whisper we hear of him. Who then can understand the thunder of his power? What a great God we serve. And we really honestly don't even have a clue how great and amazing he is. And that should bring us to our knees. That, that should lower our faces before our great and amazing God. Our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is so much greater than we could ever imagine. And yet he died for us, as Bob just talked about. He sacrificed for us, us, unworthy, sinful, fallen, depraved human beings. Yes, unworthy, but as the very acts of God testify, worth so much. Worth so much, even in the eyes of God. And I am continually blown away in my personal life by the power and might and justice and sovereignty of God, while at the same time being amazed and grateful for his patience and his grace and his mercy and his love towards me. And in our chapters today, Job delivers his final words to his friends. I couldn't decide on a title, so I gave, it, gave you the option to choose. You can circle one at the end of this. You can decide, is it Job's last stand or is it I rest my case? I mean, in chapter 27, Job highlights once again his integrity and his unwillingness to listen to the bad advice of his friends which we know for fact is based on a bad diagnosis of why Job is experiencing what he is. Job outlines the destruction that does indeed come to those who are wicked and not a part of the family of God in chapter 27. Then in chapter 28, Job talks about wisdom. He says there, there isn't a mine shaft around where you can go in and you can dig up and, and, and produce wisdom. Um, unlike natural elements like gold and silver, wisdom can't be found. Wisdom can't be bought. Understanding can't be located on a map. Wisdom comes from the fear of the Lord. Wisdom comes from God. And when we gain understanding, that is when, Job says, we shun evil. That is when we repent and turn away from evil things. Obedience happens when we begin to have a correct understanding of our relationship to God. With Jesus Christ. And then finally in chapter 29. See, you didn't know how we were going to get through five chapters. I just went through two. Finally in chapter 29, Job begins his final defense. Verse 1, Job, chapter 29, Job continued his discourse. 
How long, how I long for the months gone by, for the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone on my head and by his light I walked through darkness. Oh, for the days when I was in my prime, when God's intimate friendship blessed my house. The first thing that Job does here in this chapter is he reflects on life's past joys. It is good to remember It's good to remember. Last week we celebrated communion. Communion is an ordinance that Jesus gave us and said, I want you to do this until I return. And and we do. Uh, it's, it's, It's celebrated at different times in all different kinds of traditions. Some churches celebrate it weekly. Some churches celebrate it once a month like we do. Um, Some church, I know of a church that celebrates it once a year. But we are to celebrate it, why? Why are we to celebrate this? To remember, so that we might remember, so that we might look back and remember the significance of what Jesus did and that we might remember the details of what Jesus did. Lest we forget, because it's easy in our world today to roll on with life and leave behind the things that are important. We need to be reminded, and, and Job is remembering. Remembering is a good thing. There is ministry in memory if it is used properly. Moses repeatedly, over and over and over again in the book of Deuteronomy, implored the people of Israel to remember. He's teaching them to remember, to remember the Lord, to remember what he did, to remember when, to remember his decrees. Deuteronomy 8.2 says this, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Wow, it's like Job's life is happening because of that verse. When we go through testing, when we go through suffering, It could be a time that the Lord is like, hey, are you going to fish or are you going to cut bait? I prefer to fish. I prefer to fish. Now, the past should be a rudder to guide us, not an anchor that holds us back. And the past can often become that. Because if we're constantly trying to duplicate the past, (laughs) we may find ourselves in a rut that robs us of maturity and joy in the present, even in the midst of suffering. C.H. Spurgeon said, Too many people write their blessings in the sand, but engrave their sorrows in marble. Psalm 77 starts out, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. When we are thirsting in our souls, when we feel alone and we feel left behind, when we are in the dark valleys, it is easy to wish we were back in the good old days. At the end of that psalm, in verse 10 and 11, It says this, Then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years when the Most High stretched out his right hand, 
I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. That's not a, I wish I were back there again, though Job is kind of feeling that way this morning in this chapter. I wish for the good old days. I wish for that. This is a, I, I remember, I remember the truth about the Lord. Now, there is, of course, the danger of falling into the attitude of wishing we were back in the good old days. Ah, the good old days. Isn't it fun to reflect on the good old days? Back when I was younger and more fit and more athletic and didn't have as many aches and pains and you know what I'm talking about, that that longing, that longing for the good old days will not change our current situation. It will not change your current situation, wishing you were back in the, in the good old days. If we focus so much on the glories of the past that we ignore the opportunities of the present, we may fail to be ready for what's in front of us in the present. and unprepared to meet the future. For our future will come whether we like it or not. Whether we want to or not, time keeps on ticking and we continue down the road of life. Few people look forward to old age and the problems that come with it. But we can't avoid it. It doesn't matter how much money you spend on trying to be younger Time is still ticking away. Few people look forward to old age. Um, it's a proven fact that those who have the most birthdays live the longest. <laughs> and those that live the longest become the oldest. And old people eventually die. I'm sure you've all heard never die joke, a, a never die joke a timer in your life. Some of them we obviously could not repeat here this morning. Um, but here are some. Old skiers never die, they just go downhill. Uh, old football players never die, they just fumble away. Old bakers never die, they just fail to rise. I mean, we may not think about dying, but unless Jesus returns before we do, we will. We will take our last Breath, And that means we need to prepare for old age. We need to prepare for old age. Like those little birds in the corner are preparing for old age. Apologize over here. I, you know, she brings, she, she raises, what do you call it? A litter? No. Um, she raises a, a clutch every, uh, twice a year, I think. And I always think we need to plug the hole, but... We continue to be an open home for her. You guys probably can't even hear it over there, right? Good. Um, now, don't listen for it since I just pointed it out. Um, it's futile to wish for the good old days. It is faith to look forward to the future with rejoicing, no matter what the future may bring. Remembering what God has done is good, and Job's good old days were indeed very, very good. Remembering those things can remind us and give us strength and hope in our present, 
as reminders of God's faithfulness to us in the past. And Job remembers five things in chapter 29. He remembers uh, joy in the presence of God in his home. He remembers joy in the presence of God. His longing for reflects on what it was like. Verse four, when God's intimate friendship blessed my house, when the Almighty was still with me and my children were around me, when my path was drenched with cream and the rock poured out for me streams of olive oil. God watched over him. And of course we know that God is still watching over Job. God is still present. He just doesn't sense it. That's been an amazing thing for me to study as we've studied the book of Job, is that though I don't feel it, though in my suffering and my pain, I don't feel like God is present, but because of what Job suffered, which was a lot, he lost everything. In a matter of moments, he lost everything. Yet when God pulls the curtain back for us, we see that he is still there. He is still with Job, and that is true for every one of us, no matter what it is we're going through. God is still there. We may not, he may not pull the curtain back for us to see that he is there, but he, there is no doubt, no doubt that he is. And there is joy when we take time to be in the presence of God, even in the midst of suffering, meditating on God's word, calling out to him, in prayer, sitting and listening for him at all times, good and bad. Joy in the presence of God in his home. Next, uh, Job remembers the joy of the respect of others. In verses 7 through 11, Job remembers how people treated him, the respect, the quiet honor. Yes, indeed, he was well respected in the public square at the gate of the city. If we don't live a hypocritic life, and we live the long game, people will recognize our integrity. I, my, my children used to struggle with this. So-and-so said this about me, and so-and-so said this about me, and we did our best to encourage them to just try and ignore what people are saying about you. Live right, live with integrity, and in the long game, those people who are observing your life will stop listening to the people who are lying about you, and they will trust you. Joy comes through the respect of others, though we have to be careful not to let it go to our heads in a prideful way. Job then remembers the joy of ministry to others. Yes, serving others and not ourselves does bring joy. He was accused by his friends of exploiting the poor and needy, but Job denies that. And all I can do is trust his words here. These verses describe a very compassionate man who brought help and happiness to the, to the needy. Verse 12 through 17. Because I rescued the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to assist them. 
The one who was dying blessed me. I made the widow's heart sing. I put on righteousness as my clothing. Justice was my robe and my turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. I took up the case of the stranger. I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victims from their teeth. Job was a minister. He ministered to people. And there is joy in ministering and serving other people. Next, Job remembers joy from confidence in the future. That, that comes, right? As, as, as life goes on and things are provided for you and your trust is built up in God and, and you take that next step and you take that next step, you become more confident that God is going to continue and, and provide for you and help you and give you strength along the way. But it's not in those moments when our faith is strengthened. It's in the moments where we lose something of that, but we still hang on to him and we get through that dark valley and we see that God is just as faithful to me on the other side of this as he was before it. Until Job lost everything, it seems that there was no reason for him to worry about the future. Now he does seem to be worrying about the future, which he shouldn't, because we know that God is just as much there now as he was before. Job saw great hope in his future. Um, look at verse 19. My roots will reach to the water and the dew will lie all night on my branches. My glory will not fade the bow will be ever new in my hand. The bow. You know, the Old Testament talks about how uh, a, a man with many arrows in his quiver is blessed. Speaking of his child, children, I, I don't know if that's what Job is referring to as grabbing the, mo, the bow. Maybe, maybe he envisioned having even more children further on into the future. But he saw great hope in his future. And you know what? We can too. You should too. You should see great hope in your future. Because no matter what our situation, we see right here in this book that even though things are rough, God is still there. He is working. Philippians 1, 3 through 6 says, I thank my God Every time I remember you, Paul says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's working. On you. <laughs> He's working on me. And finally, Job remembers the joy from speaking words of encouragement and help. People were encouraged by his words. Um, the light of his face was precious to them. Verse 25. I chose a way for them and sat as their chief. I dwelt as a king among his troops. Job encouraged the people and he helped them along. He did what he could. And these are all good things to remember. And I wonder, what are the things that have happened that God has done for you in your past 
that as you think about the suffering times should reflect back on to give you hope in the present for your future. What are the things that brought you joy throughout the years of life in your relationship with Jesus Christ? What, what are those things? In the For Further Study Guide that's in your worship folders this morning, there's a question that will remind you after you get home to reflect on that very question. What are the joys of the past that God has provided for me? So that you might remember those and so that you might be reminded of the work of Christ in your life. Not, not to try to duplicate them today, but to remember, to worship God for providing them to you. When, when we are suffering, we do need to remember. We do need to reflect on the joy God has given us. Like in Psalm 42, the psalmist says in verse 6, My soul is downcast with me. That's a confession of my present state. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. We need to remember. Next in chapter 30, Job reflects on God's judgment. This is a, not necessarily a great and fun part. Job just can't get his current state out of his mind. His suffering is great. It is really great and he can't just ignore his pain and feelings of loneliness and dishonor and so job enters a time of complaint which i've said in past messages is okay we can complain to god as long as we are respectful about it so job enters a time of complaint and and we're really good at complaining aren't we i bet Sometime between the time you entered those doors this morning and to where you're sitting now, you complained about something. I don't know. I could be wrong. I, I think we're just all really good at complaining. It comes easily. It comes quickly. We can be sucked into it really fast. And I find it interesting that the five complaints that Job speaks about in chapter 30 parallel the five joys that he just named. I mean, what pain, Job 30, verses 16 through 22, and now my life ebbs away, days of suffering grip me, night pierces my bones, my gnawing pains never rest. In his great power, God becomes like clothing to me. He binds me like the neck of my garment. He throws me into the mud, and I am reduced to dust and ashes. I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. Remember that respectful thing I mentioned? You turn on me ruthlessly. With the might of your hand, you attack me. You snatch me up and drive me before the wind. You toss me about in the storm. Here are Job's five complaints. I'm not going to talk about each one of them. I'm just going to list them for you this morning. Job says, I have no respect. He says, I have no blessing. He says, I have no help. He says, I have no future. And he says, I have no ministry. So this is what God did for me before. Now, here in my present, I got none of it. 
I mean, he is just feeling alone, and I must disagree with him. God has not abandoned him. He hasn't. And that's hard to remember and stand on when things are tragic and difficult around our lives, isn't it? Job is just a shell of himself. And and he is feeling abandoned. And I can understand his discouragement. The evil one is working overtime in this case. And and the evil one is working against all of our lives. And we have to remember that our suffering is but a blip on the timeline of our own life. And especially on the timeline of history. We tend to take short time frames out of the greater context, don't we? I mean, people do this with Bible verses all the time. They'll, they'll take a Bible verse that says one thing when removed from the context of its passage. And they'll say this. Um, whether people like to do this. Uh, whether people do this all the time. Uh, you know, if there's a rash, there's a season where there seems to be more hurricanes than normal, or there's more tornadoes than normal, like maybe this year. Like there's more severe weather this year. They're like, well, see? And they use that little, little small blip on the timeline of history to say, this indicates that this is happening. And if, you, if we would just wait it out over time, we would see, Right? That, that there's, been, there's been seasons like this before. Now, I know a lot of you say, man, I've never seen it rain like this before, and I've never, and, and that you can recall, that, that you've recorded. But what about the last 100 years or the last 200 years? Is this a complete and total anomaly, or is it just a part of a longer timeline? And, and we need to think that way when we are going through some suffering, you know, it's easy and cliche for somebody who to, to, to toss out there that's not going through pain and suffering to toss out there and say, this too shall soon pass. But it's true, isn't it? Some of you are in the middle of it. Some of you are at the end of it. Some of you, are at the, some of you aren't even in there yet. And those who have been through it, it would be good to be friends with them when you go through it because they can come alongside you and say, God is here with you. I know it doesn't feel like it, but he is. Trust me. I don't know exactly how you feel, but I've been through things similar to this, and and in the end, I saw the faithfulness of God. God has not and never will abandon those who are in Christ Jesus. It may look on the outside like he has. It may feel like he has. But I think this is one great reminder we see from the book of Job, and that's that things are often not as they seem. God is right there with Job. He allowed what is happening to him to happen. In fact, dare I say, he ordained it. Many would say that the Israelites' suffering in the desert was tragic. It it was evil. Was it really? 
where does our definition of evil come from? Because oftentimes, I, yes, there are tragedies caused by evil. But sometimes a tragedy is a tragedy. I guess what I'm saying is, I think God can ordain and move to, create, to cause a tragedy. Obviously not evil. When Ananias and Sapphira, was it Ananias and Sapphira? Are they the ones that, uh, in the early church, when, when people were, were selling their land and giving it, all they sold their land and gave part but said it was all what happened to them they died immediately right who killed them god did tragic for their family yes evil no there is suffering that happens in our lives that God ordains, and you know what? We can trust him completely when he allows something like that to happen to us. Um, and, and think about this. Job's sufferings are similar to those of Jesus. Uh, people falsely accused him. They spit on him. They ridiculed him while he suffered. He became the song of the drunkards. Job didn't know it, but he was actually being honored by God to share in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. Paul talks about that in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Job is convinced more than ever that what he is experiencing is the judgment of God, or at the very least, the heavy hand of God, which though allowed by God is not that exactly. Job wants action by God. He's ready for it. Job's patience has run out, even if God's hasn't. And maybe you're there today. Because we run out of patience real quick. In chapter 29, Job looks back to the past. In chapter 30, he looks at his present. And now in chapter 31, Job looks ahead. Job looks ahead for God's justice. Job wants to be vindicated here. Job has stood up against his friends who have blamed him and accused him for things for I don't know how many days. Saying that if you would just repent of this stuff, then you'd get your health back. You'd get your, it's, you know, you know, you know what you get when you play a country song backwards, right? You get your car back and you get your dog back and you get your wife back and you get your, that's what they want Job to do. And they said, if you would just do this, everything will be fine. And we know, having read all of these chapters so far, that that's not what's happening. It isn't the judgment of God, though there's some judgment coming between now and the end of the book. Like one would do in a legal document, Job puts himself under oath before God in this last part of his exposition. He asks God to, to declare judgment if he is indeed found to be guilty. And I think he was hoping that God would jump to, to vindicate him before his friends. 
and all of those others who were aware of what was going on in his life. Verse 35 of chapter 31, Job says, I sign now my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser put his indictment in writing. Job is convinced that his integrity is intact. And he seems to cover all the bases of his defense. First, he tackles his behavior as a man, and he mentions three sins here that could trip up any man or any, any woman. And as I have said often throughout the series, there have been things, there have been truths uttered by Job and by Job's friends um, that even though they were pointed out at the wrong time to the wrong person, they were completely and totally true. And this is one of those moments. Job hints at an area in this chapter, and I want to emphasize it this morning. You see, we got to be honest about our sin. We got to be honest about it. And sexual sin is a sin that is all over our culture. It is everywhere. It is more and more becoming not only widely accepted, but celebrated. It, it makes people money hand over fist. The enemy is wielding our selfish sexual desires as a huge weapon today, and we must stand against it. We must fight against that in our own lives especially. We must turn away. Look at, Joe, look at verses 1 through 4. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. For what is our lot from God above, our heritage from the Almighty on high? Is it not ruin for the wicked, disaster for those who do wrong? Does he not see my ways and count my every step? First Job talks about lust. That's where it starts. That's where it starts. It's the first step and it's the first step towards death. If we look at James chapter 1, verses 13 through 16, it's described this way. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, interesting he's using that kind of illustration here, isn't it? It gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Don't be deceived. It can be images of someone we don't know, a lingering look at someone we do know, but a covenant with our eyes is one we have to make. Though a look doesn't seem to hurt anyone, it obviously does, doesn't it? Uh, an affair doesn't happen overnight. It's birth over time after conception. And that conception is often cultivated in lust. Jesus said something about lust, lust, didn't he, in Matthew chapter 5. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus takes that sin very seriously. Yes, we must make a covenant with our eyes, with God, because lust leads us to disaster. It will start a fire that will burn down everything good in your life. No matter what stage of life you are in, lust is something that will burn it down. Then he moves on to deceit. He denies he has been deceitful. And if true, he wasn't deceitful in his business dealings. 
Uh, verse 5, if I have walked with falsehood or my foot has hurried after deceit, let God weigh me on honest scales and he will know that I am blameless. If my steps have turned from the path, if my heart has been led by my eyes or if my hands have been defiled, then may others eat what I have sown and may my crops be uprooted. Job says that if he has been deceitful, then may next year's crops be taken by others. But we all should inspect our own lives. Is there deceitful ways in me, God? Help me to see those. Help me to repent and turn away from those. Let's be honest with ourselves. And then Job mentions adultery specifically, which we've already seen begins with lust in the heart. Verse 9, if my heart has been enticed by a woman or if I have lurked at my neighbor's door, then may my wife grind another man's grain and may other men sleep with her, for that would have been wicked, a sin to be judged. It is a fire that burns to destruction. It would have uprooted my harvest. Job again is defending himself. He said he's never lurked around a neighbor's door. In fact, he says if he has the judgment that that would be just for God to wield on him would be for his wife to become another man's slave and mistress. May we be reminded this morning that adultery is a heinous crime that brings shameful and destructive and painful consequences in this life and judgment in the next. We must be aware and take sin seriously. It is truly a sin that burns to destruction. May we consider these verses this morning. Proverbs chapter 6, 27 through 29. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. And you might think, well, that's the Old Testament. We live under the New Testament now since Jesus has come. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. We must be honest about our sin. Surrender our lives at the feet of Jesus every day and follow his leading. Guard our hearts against lust and deceitfulness and adultery because sin is insidious. Satan is good. He's been working on Job for days now. Using Job's friends against him, using the townspeople against him to convince him of things that aren't true. And Satan does that every day to convince us of things that aren't true. That if we engage in that, it's not hurting anyone else. It's just you and that TV screen, it's just you and that computer screen. That's not hurting anyone else. That's a lie. You deserve this. You deserve that. We must guard our hearts against lust. Then in the closing verses of his self-examination, he examines himself as an employer, as a neighbor, as a worshiper, and as a steward. May we all examine ourselves in our lives each and every day. Not just when bad things happen, though, but when good is happening. Because we know that the judgment of God 
doesn't always fall on those who are wicked and who are doing their own things. Those who are wealthy and healthy and are successful can also experience good in their life. And as a final point this morning and as an action point of sorts, I want to remind us after just hearing what we just heard that, that we are right to value righteousness. That, that we are right to value righteousness and that righteousness doesn't come from us. That righteousness comes from Jesus Christ. We are right to value godly living, to, to doing everything we can to be aware of the lies of the enemy and standing against them, doing everything we can to be obedient to the commands of God. And when we fail, because we all have, we all have, I would be naive to think there's anyone in this room, save some of the younger, younger, younger ones that are in the room today that every one of us has, has lusted in our heart. Every one of us. We, we all fail. Some quietly and privately, others in a very loud and obvious public way. We all fail, and when we do, may we fall into the arms of Jesus with confession and repentance and receive his amazing grace and mercy and forgiveness. May the word of God minister to us this morning as we close. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, if there's sin in your life and you know it and you've been convicted of it this morning, Confess it. Don't hold on to it. Don't excuse it. Don't get comfortable with it. Confess it because when we do, God is faithful and just and he forgives us of our sins and he purifies us from all unrighteousness. And Ephesians 1.7 says that in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. in accordance with the riches of God's grace, God is so gracious to us. And the enemy may want to discourage you with that sin that you have said yes to, but God wants to forgive you of that. God wants to lift your face up and say, oh, you are my precious child. You are my beloved. I died for you. My blood covers that sin and then 1 Peter 1.3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ, of Jesus Christ from the dead. So before you get discouraged, remember that Jesus died for you. And that when we put our faith and trust in him, his Blood covers over us and God sees you through him. Satan wants to destroy that. The silence at the end of Job's monologue was, was 
was probably everyone waiting and stepping back for when the lightning is going to strike from what he just declared. I kind of feel like that's what his friends are hoping for because they want to be proven right. They've been going it over and over and over and over again. They would just as soon see Job smited by God because he's been defending himself. He's been hanging on to his integrity. I mean, what was God going to do? Was he going to judge Job immediately for his words? Or would God accept Job's challenge and appear to him and give him another opportunity to defend himself? Or or perhaps God would speak directly from heaven and answer his questions. Job challenged God because he was sure that God would vindicate him. And yet there is silence. No one speaks. It's in those moments the enemy begins speaking to us. See, God doesn't care. See, he's not there with you. See, he doesn't know. That's not the case here. But God is silent. God is silent. And then finally, as you're going to read for next week and the following week, someone breaks the silence and enters a new character into our story. A man even younger than the other three by the name of Elihu. We'll cover his monologue over the next two weeks. Trust that you'll join us for the next two weeks. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. Ah, it's been been heavy this morning. and My prayer, God, is that we would sense a, a balance of your conviction that we would not excuse or blame others for sin that we have committed ourselves, that we would take full responsibility for our own lives and that we would surrender that to you. That we would recognize those wrong things that, that maybe you have pointed out in our life. God, maybe... Maybe today you've reminded us that we need to be patient and that that you're working and though it doesn't feel like it or it doesn't look like it, you haven't left us or forsaken us. Help us to trust you. Help us to be responsible for our own decisions and our own actions and to surrender those to you when we fail. Help us to remember how amazingly powerful you are how loving you are, how full of grace and mercy you are. And Lord, as we close this morning, I pray that that our hearts would cry out to you in truth and that we would hold on to you, that we would stand on your word and that we would be encouraged and that would give us hope even in the midst of suffering. And Jesus, thank you Thank you for paying the price for our failures. In Jesus' name, amen.